The Free For All Roundtable. Brought to you by Lexus Avon, Canada's newest Lexus dealer. Near Canada's Wonderland in the Maple Auto Mall. Luxury is closer than you think. Round one. On round one, Laura Babcock is here from Power Group Communications and host of The O Show. Matt Gurney is a journalist, co-founder of The Line, which is an online magazine. And John Burnside is a Toronto City Councillor. Good morning to y'all. Let's start with the announcement which broke. I don't know why they you know, let out good news on a Friday afternoon, although maybe it is bad news. A new pharmacare deal between the NDP and the Liberals. And then the finance minister on the weekend said this will not jeopardize federal finances. Let me start with Matt Gurney. I don't know where they're going to get the money. I mean, this is the second major social program we've introduced where we haven't actually created, um, you know, premiums. Yeah, I mean, based on what I've read about this, and obviously we're going to find out more as time goes on, but the initial reporting says, because it's very limited in initial scope, the first phase of this that's been announced is going to basically target uh, contraceptive medications and diabetes medications. It's not a full pharmacare plan along the lines of a universal program that the NDP has long wanted. The Globe says the uh, annual impact of this is going to be about a billion bucks. And look, a billion bucks is a billion bucks, right? A billion billion here, a billion there. Sooner or later, you're talking real money. But on the scale of the federal budget, like we're talking a fraction of a percent, so they can figure out where they're going to fund this. To your other point, though, about the politics of it, I think announcing it on a Friday, there was the ticking clock here, right? Like Jagmeet Singh had said that if the liberals didn't come up with something by the end of the month, he was going to pull the plug. So there was some political pressure here. But I also just get the feeling that this is sort of like a compromise deal. Like, and I don't know if this was because it was rushed or if because the liberals were only willing to throw them a small bone. I really, I, I don't know. Like, that's an open question even for me. I just don't think either party is that excited about this. It's not nothing. It will make a difference for some lives here. But this is well short of the expectations I think the NDP and the liberals had spent the last few years building up. Certainly it is welcome news. This used to be one of my major charities was diabetes causes. And Laura Babcock covering uh, syringes and insulin is a, is a big deal. Oh, it's a huge deal. Uh, and Jugby was quick to be out crying about it on social media, right? So I don't think the, the Friday release is a little weird, but I think that also might be a little anachronistic back to the days when we all counted on regular news cycles. Now with social media sometimes getting more eyeballs than stuff you put in the mainstream media with press releases, I don't necessarily think that timing matters much anymore. He was out there, he was, he was messaging about it. And this is a win. This is a win for so many Canadians who need help. I mean, it's unbelievable. And I know we'll talk some stories today about how the unaffordability crisis is impacting people. But insulin, hugely important. Uh, Also hugely important is contraceptive care. I met a young woman who uh, lives in poverty and needed to get birth control and didn't think that they could pay for it. I mean, how heartbreaking is that, right? So uh, I think this is a good first step. And, And congratulations to the NDP for pushing this and for the Liberals for having to make the deal to do it. <laughs> as long as the medicine gets out there, I'm good. Jugmeet Singh will pay a visit at 8.05 and probably ask to be high-fived. John Burnside? Well, uh, when I heard, when I read the uh, the article, I, I pretty much broke out into cachination, uh, which is to <laughs> laugh loudly or immoderately. Uh, <laughs> I snorted. <laughs> Oh, you remind me of my girlfriend. Um, but um, not in this jersey. No. <laughs> um, but here's the thing: they said they wouldn't put their finances in jeopardy. Newsflash: they're already in jeopardy. 
Okay, and my problem, yes, very worthwhile causes uh, to Laura's uh, point. I think birth control especially, uh, because fewer unwanted babies in society is, is a good thing. But here's the thing. they got to keep their eye on the ball, which is still overall health care. Get that right before you start going off and doing the hey look over there and being everything to everybody. Get health care right and then move on. Not until then. Justin Trudeau showed up in Kiev on the weekend. It was the second anniversary of the Russian invasion. And then he went to Poland, where the president of Poland said, by the way, you got to start spending money on your armed forces. John Burnside, a fairly productive trip. I mean, the it's so funny that Justin Trudeau called uh, Vladimir Putin a weakling, I think. If any conservative prime minister had done that, the conservatives would be very excited. But I am hearing on social media, it's like, oh, God, he's insulting Vladimir Putin because he's such a weakling. Well, I can't figure out conservatives anymore, so I'll, I'll leave that one alone. But, you know, Justin Trudeau did his, what Justin Trudeau does best, which is go around, does a photo op, walks away, and then does nothing. Uh, it's a lot of pontificating and a lot of telling uh, people, in this case uh, Poland, how much Canada cares, how much we're going to support them, and then keeps a checkbook in his pocket. Laura Babcock, your thoughts? Well, I think that uh, if we can, I mean, good for him to go there and to signal solidarity. It's the tier anniversary. There was a big social media push by a lot of, uh, you know, global celebrities and philosophers and directors uh, this weekend saying we have to continue to support Ukraine. But, you know, what I think is, is important is the Polish Prime Minister going to Trudeau and saying, you know, you've got to do more to fund your military because the, the hot war in Europe is really at risk of spreading. Putin's making up ground and Ukraine finally had to admit it. Uh, they're in big trouble with the holdup of the legislation coming out of the U.S. and not having enough arms. When you look at World War II, Poland lost 21% of their population, you know, and we've got a million Polish people in Canada, which is a big incentive for Trudeau to be there and to be listening carefully, uh, not just in Kiev, but, but to Poland and what's coming next. You know, there's always been this line since I've been born that next is Poland, you know, um, because of what happened in World War II. Well, this is, this is happening. This is real. And so not only is it good that Trudeau over there signaling support for Ukraine, but that better be matched with funding our military, and not just because of Trump's threats about NATO members, um, but because Poland desperately needs to know the world is there for for Europe. Matt Gurney, perhaps you have the figure at hand. I think we're currently spending 1.2 of our GDP on military, and as a member of NATO, we're supposed to spend two. Yeah, it's, it's around that. I mean, you could round it up if you were feeling generous to 1.3, but it's in the 1.2 range. And the dollar amount of what it would take, uh, using last year's budget number to actually punch that up to uh, the 2% target, would be an additional $18 billion a year on military spending. And the frustrating thing is that I'm a guy who has spent a, a depressingly long career writing about this issue more than almost anything else. Probably, I've probably written more about this issue than anything else combined and um and sorry than any, than any other single issue i don't think we could spend the 18 billion right now like if the money fairy uh, showed up and and you know sprinkled some pixie dust on the canadian armed forces and they had another 18 billion dollars a year the forces are in such a catastrophic state right now in terms of just ability to uh, handle large procurement projects the ability to recruit the 18 billion bucks would not go anywhere and that's one of the dirty little secrets of defense spending in canada 
Now, it is true. We do not spend enough on the military. We don't spend nearly enough on the military. But even some of the, of what we're already spending is lapsing on the federal budget every year. It's going unspent because there is not enough bureaucratic muscle, either within the armed forces or within the broader federal bureaucracy, to actually oversee the projects that the money has been budgeted for. This is a, it's a, it's, I think it's like a psychological problem almost to an extent in Canada. We can never actually imagine that we would need a military, but there's also just a real basic state capacity issue. How many times have we seen guys in the last five, ten years, the government of Canada comes out saying, we're going to do X by, you know, by Y, and then Y rolls around, and we've barely even got X going. This is the problem we have here. This is not entirely a money problem, although we do need to spend more money. We need to figure out why politicians pull the levers of power in this country and then discover they're not connected to anything. So an interesting, there's a few lifestyle stories today I wanted to get into. One of them, a really interesting feature that first of all, seems to confirm that suppliers of food products were gouging us and retailers together. But the thing is, people have pushed back, and consumers have fundamentally changed their behavior. And Laura Babcock, they seem to be winning, because they're shrinking their bills, and the providers, the manufacturers and the uh, retailers, are starting to back off on prices, because they realize we're not going to pay. Absolutely. I mean, there's lots of ways to protest against this kind of injustice and this kind of uh, trauma because it is traumatic, right? If people can't are getting rent evicted and they also, uh, they, if they can find a, an apartment to rent, it usually takes their entire food budget. I mean, that's what we're seeing on the food line every week. It's getting bigger and bigger and it's dire, John. And so when you hear these kind of stories, it's like good because some people have raised their voices. Some people have come up with slogans like the Rob Laws artist has done. Uh, those things are effective too and sort of generate attention and anger but what's really effective is what you do with your wallet and I know for myself I'm I look at every cent I'm teaching my kids every time you go grocery shopping or any kind of shopping now you look for the sales right uh, that didn't used to be my habit unfortunately I was one of those people who was always in a rush and just grabbed whatever I could but now it's like this is nuts uh, why would you pay something that much when that's never been the experience inflation is still super high 19% or something on some food items so yeah I think it's good consumers push back with your wallet you know support local support those that are giving deep discounts support those retailers that aren't into price gouging and aren't into these scandals i think it matters and we can do it so it's good news well the matt gurney it's just basic economics i mean the prices went up people started looking elsewhere and now the prices are coming down because they're not moving the product yeah, no, and obviously I think there's the other factors that I think inflation is getting a little smoothed out. I'm not here to do the, uh, the, the PR work for the grocery companies, but I do think one of the things that does get underlooked, uh, when we talk about this is just the actual farm gate costs, like the actual production costs of food for the people who are producing it at the source are also way up. So that was a big ripple through the economy that I think is starting to be adjusted to now. But I want to echo largely what Laura said. Like Laura said, she's training her kids to look at uh, sales stickers. My wife is training me, and wouldn't you know it, it's actually paying off. I do a lot of the grocery shopping in the family. It's probably about 50-50 split. And I I had the bad habit of basically going, oh, that looks good. Mmm, that would be tasty. Oh, wow, we haven't had this in a while. And just throw a bunch of stuff into the cart. It's my wife who's been telling me, here is the list. Look at the prices. Compare the, the unit price. Compare the actual price. These are consumer habits that I think, starting with the pandemic and rolling through this, that Canadians have 
gotten into. I hope they stick around. And yeah, it looks good on the big grocery companies to have to adapt to a little bit more of a savvy customer. Let's jump to another topic here, and that would be another feature about lifestyle, multi-generational living. And John Burnside, it's certainly something I think the city might encourage. But at the same time, there must be a lot of people, you know, South Asians and Italians going, tell me something I don't know. Well, exactly. It's a bit of a back to the future sort of thing. Uh, my best friend in, in grade school and high school, Macedonian, lived with the grandparents. My sister-in-law, Italian, lived with the parents, right? So uh, it's just, uh, it's reacting, it's adapting, like people are with groceries, and they're, they have to do it with housing now. And... Um, Hey, I wish my parents were still alive, and I'd love to live with them. Well, Laura Babcock, I know of two people, actually, and I don't think they'd uh, be angry if I identify them. One of them is Kathleen Wynne and uh, David Crombie, the former mayor. And they live in multi-generational houses that have been distinctly engineered to allow you to have privacy and basically your own unit, but everybody's living together. Yeah, it's kind of wonderful in a way. I mean, you have to work on your family relationships and dynamics. Um, but the neighborhood I live in, there's a lot of those houses. We have a lot of immigration into our community, and there are a lot of cultures that why wouldn't you live with your family? You know, the grandparents can look after the grandchildren if you need them to and still get and get that beautiful social engagement and interaction. Uh, and you're able, I mean, I lived in Japan in a multi-generational family dwelling for a while. And the whole idea is that you all support each other through the entire life cycle and so the the seniors have support if they have medical issues from the younger generations you pass down family wisdom and it's very economical so you know for uh, for some reason in North America we thought we should all live apart and all incur these huge expenses and let seniors you know care be done in isolation somewhere else that's not how I think a lot of the world works so I'm glad that we're moving towards this thanks to all of you thank you for your word sir what was it cacination cacination laugh loudly or immoderately I do that a lot Time. John Burnside, Laura Babcock, and Matt Gurney. Catch the round table, round one at 745, round two at 845. Weekday mornings on more in the morning. News Talk 1010 Toronto.